Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. I never knew McAfee was a person, although I've contributed handsomely to his lifestyle over the years. He is, of course, the man who invented an antivirus machinery in the Internet and uh, kept us all safe. Uh, He led, it said, a charmed life and fell out with the Clintons. So predictably, he's dead. Question is, was he Epstein? He was in a secure prison, uh, but he's no longer with us. The suicide of Mr. McAfee came as a tremendous surprise to everyone, not least himself. And the erstwhile health secretary, of the United Kingdom, Matt Hancock, who should already be in a prison cell for the naked, brazen, well, let's call them shortcomings in his administrative process by which he spent huge sums, billions of pounds of British public money using his private email address to make deals with suppliers who oftentimes seem to turn out to have an astonishing proximity to him. His barman, his bartender, his local publican got a bumper contract for the supply of PPE. His sister's company, in which he owned 25%, got another bumper contract from the NHS, although, of course, he didn't know anything about it, as happens in families as happens in your own bank account. Now, Mac Hancock should be in prison, in my view, for negligence, for corporate manslaughter. He caused the deaths, in my opinion, of thousands of people, particularly old people whom he callously sent into care homes without a care for their well-being. And if he did have a care, He didn't do anything about it. These vulnerable people were sent into a vulnerable place amongst other vulnerable people, not least the staff who worked there. And he needs to face the music. Maybe he will. The Sunday Times has gotten hold of his private email account being used for government business involving big business deals. That alone may very well put him in trouble. I have zero interest in his love life or that of his lover. And so I'm not going to dwell on that. But I am going to raise something that I think is of more important significance. Who filmed that rather awkward tryst in that rather Spartan room between him and his now live-in lover? Mahancock 
left his wife on Thursday night when it was clear that the story in the sun was about to break. I do hope his poor wife had more notice than that. But whether she did or whether she didn't, these are all personal and private tragedies into which I shall not pry. But if someone is secretly filming our cabinet ministers and releasing the film to the press, we need to know who and why. I mean, it could be anybody. It could be Iran. It could be China. It could be Russia. It could be the British security services. It could be the prime minister, Boris Johnson, checking up on uh, the cabinet members that don't have quite the same uh, attitude to the sanctity of marriage as he does. It could have been Dominic Cummings, who seems to be on a one-man wrecking operation against the government of which he was once a central and important servant. It could have been anybody. It could have been Rupert Murdoch. could have been a Sun journalist. Uh, but either way, he was secretly filming a British cabinet minister. And if he was being filmed doing that, he might have been being filmed doing other things that are not so private and personal, but are public and important. And if our health secretary is being secretly filmed, who's to say our defense secretary isn't being secretly filmed? Perhaps he was secretly filmed, overruling the British foreign secretary and asking Boris Johnson for permission to steam a British warship right up the Crimea. Carry on up the Crimea. That was last week's story. Next week's is carry on up the Yangtze. Uh, but it almost led to war. A British warship that was sent into Russian territorial waters and so predictable was the response uh, that the Royal Navy helpfully had on board their warship a journalist from the Daily Mail and a camera crew from the BBC, the state broadcaster of the United Kingdom. Now, was the Defence Secretary being secretly filmed? And if so, by whom and for what? Is the Foreign Secretary being secretly filmed? And when might we expect to see the footage? Is the Prime Minister being secretly filmed? Now, that would be ex-certificate. Definitely not safe for work. But you get what I'm driving at here. I'm all for whistleblowing about a public malfeasance, malpractice in public office. Uh, but kissing your secretary doesn't quite fall into that category. Reprehensible, though many will think it was, as he was married and she was married. But now they're both together. This could have a happy ending. I don't know. But it's not whistleblowing uh, to release secretly filmed trysts between consenting adults. I know some of you won't like that. You're just happy uh, that uh, a man who should have been out of office long ago, and if we'd had an actual opposition in British politics, might well have been out of office long ago. I know that many are happy 
that a man who's done so many things wrong has finally come a cropper. But think about the bigger picture. This is not a profumo affair. Hancock did not deny uh, that he was having an extramarital affair before the House of Commons. If he had, he presumably would have been forced to resign forthwith. Hancock's malfeasances of a much greater magnitude than that, involving billions of pounds and thousands of deaths. Some of you will say, well, they got Capone on tax evasion rather than on the murders and mayhem that he created. And I understand that point of view. But if I ever got the chance in Parliament, I would be asking the questions about the national security implications of all of this. You see, I don't believe it was President Putin. I don't believe that it was Rupert Murdoch. I believe that the source of the filming lies much closer to home. In fact, from where I'm sitting, much, much, much closer to home than that. And if my hunch is right, we must now be in a situation where the elected politicians, the elected government of the country is being subject to illegal surveillance, presumably without the authority of, in the case of MI5, the Home Secretary, in the case of MI6, the Foreign Secretary, and ultimately the sanction of the Prime Minister himself. Unless, as I say, the Prime Minister did sanction this secret intelligence filming because he was determined that there be no back to basics on his watch. That would require, of course, uh, a personality character transplant by the British Prime Minister who has lived a rake's progress through other people's marriages and his own and for many decades. So if I ever get the chance again to ask questions in Parliament, that is one of them I'm going to ask. Now I might or I might not get the chance to ask questions in Parliament. But certainly there are a whole number of people absolutely determined that I should not. I don't actually mind whether I'm in Parliament or not. I want to do a job for the good people in the north of England, and I believe I can do that job. But it will not put any extra potatoes on my plate to be in Parliament. I have more than enough money to live on. I'm more than well known enough. And I have you, a million people, watching me, and many more listening every Sunday. But there are people who are now recklessly, illegally, pulling out all the stops to try and stop me. All day today, I told you last week, I woke up to me being trending as far right. Uh, all day today, people have been circulating fake Photoshop pictures of me carrying weapons, machine guns, and AK-47 rifles. In one case, whilst I have my 10-month-old daughter in my arms. 
as well as an AK-47. Now, the fact that the photoshops are absurd, the fact that the smear hasn't worked, doesn't mean that this kind of dangerous recklessness in a constituency where a member of parliament was murdered is remotely tolerable. It isn't tolerable to me. Uh, these tweets and these fake photoshops constitute a criminal offence. It is now a criminal offence, not a civil one. It's not a question of libel or defamation. It is a criminal offence to make a false statement about a candidate during an election. These people doing it are openly supporting the Labour Party. Some of them have even got Labour in their name and in their bio. Uh, so if the Labour candidate were to win the by-election that I'm contesting, they would have to be disqualified from Parliament as Phil Woolas once was for making false statements about his electoral opponents of a far less serious character than the ones that are being made about me. So the matter is in the hands of my lawyers, XYZ Law, uh, in Dewsbury to be precise, uh, Barrister has been engaged and a tort for breaches of electoral law is in preparation, as well as uh, writs for defamation against uh, specific individuals, particularly Paul Mason, but not restricted to him, and these will be followed. Whatever happens in the election on Thursday in Batley and Spen. Because although they're trying to Corbynize me, I'm not Jeremy Corbyn. I fight back. And I have the means to fight back, and I will use them ruthlessly to punish anyone who breaks the law in relation to this election. Because I believe that a democracy requires a free and fair elections and lawful behavior by the candidates. I have been subject to smear and slander and now fake Photoshop photographs appearing to show me as armed with automatic weapons and dangerous. Five separate images have now been published by Labour supporters in this by-election with fake photoshopped guns. The media have not commented once, all day, not one commentator has spoken about a picture of me with my baby and an automatic weapon photoshopped into my hand. Not one of them. These liberal hypocrites that shed crocodile tears whenever a snowflake gets called a bad name on social media have not uttered one single word. On the contrary, it's me they want to try and paint as the bad hat, the black hat in this election campaign. Apparently my election posters are dictatorial, intimidating, a poster, an election poster, intimidating. Even my hat was held to be evidence 
of dictatorial conduct. One television journalist asked me if Russia was funding my election campaign. Russia was funding my election campaign. Even though the law requires the recording carefully and the publishing carefully thereafter of those funding my election campaign. These questions would never have been asked of anyone else, uh, but they are routinely asked of a question of a candidate like me. Why so? Because I really mean it. Unlike some, I really, really mean it. I mean change in the political system in Britain. I'm not far right economically and in foreign policy. I'm the most radical guy you'll ever meet. But the only reason why they're calling me far right is because I will not accept that a man can become a woman merely by announcing as such. I'm called far right because I insist as a parent of five school-aged children uh, that I want a say in what is being taught to my children about sex, uh, but also about the history of this country. I want a say in whether or not my seven-year-old is being taught the joys of masturbation in the classroom. Don't think I'm making that up. I wish I was. I don't want my primary school children taught about anal sex. I don't want them taught actually about sex at all. That's the job of me and their mother. That doesn't make me far right. That makes me common sense. Common sense socialism is what I stand for. Economically, radical. Foreign policy, radical. Socially and culturally, conservative. There's quite a few of us about, you know. This is the mother of all talk shows. You know, and it's a very, thank you for, you know, I, I'm a big fan of your show, Gigi. Great, great debate, great. And I'm Scottish. I'm very passionate about what's happening there, you know. I had a great mom. She was Scottish, Mary McLeod. She taught me well. She taught me well at everything, including golf. I love Scotland, and I love the Scottish food. It's great food. I said to Melania, you know, haggis. Look at that. What's more than more Scottish than that? Me. I am that haggis. She said, what, thin-skinned and full of crap? Now, my colleague, Rachel Blevins, brings us the news, and particularly the media coverage of the news, every week at this time. Uh, she's my colleague on RT America. She's a terrific talker with a big future, not least in politics if I have my way. Rachel Blevins, remember her name. Rachel, welcome back to the show. Uh, resplendent, as always. I do love your backdrop. Uh, I know that you do it just for us, uh, and we all love it. Uh, I suppose, on a serious matter, uh, the big news story domestically uh, was the building collapse in, in Miami. Uh, can you tell us what happened and what's happening now? Yeah, it truly is tragic to see the images and the videos that we've seen from this, what appears to be just a full-on condominium collapse near Miami, Florida. 
And at first, the initial news was that a few people had died. So far now, they're saying that they have confirmed that nine people have died. Now, here's what's crazy about this. Only four of those people have actually been identified. So they are going around looking at remains of dead bodies, trying to figure out who the other five people actually are. And then on top of that, they have around 156 people who are still reported missing. So this death toll is likely to go up and they do have a full team on this right now. Now, the craziest part about all of this is that this collapse was actually predicted three years ago by an engineer who issued a report on this building. He said that there were serious structural damage and serious issues that needed to be addressed right away. So we know that the building knew about this. They knew that such a collapse could happen. And the state's response so far has been to say that they're going to start looking at any buildings like this that are more than five stories. We know that this building was 12 stories, but it truly is horrific for all of the residents there and all around who moved into this building thinking that it was safe, thinking that they could trust the people there. And it's ironic because it also comes at the time when the Biden administration is now touting that it has gotten a compromise between Democrats and Republicans on a nearly $1 trillion infrastructure package. So the question now becomes, is the U.S. actually going to work on its infrastructure? And in cases like this, are there going to be serious liabilities for places where apartment buildings know that there are issues and then decide not to do anything about it? Who takes responsibility for that? The report that was never acted on, uh, would, it would seem now that that constitutes, constitutes a crime. Uh, so yeah. who's the criminal? Uh, first of all, the owner of the building, but who's uh, imposing the legal standards on the owners of buildings like this? Well, I think that we're likely to see probably dozens, if not hundreds of lawsuits. And at the end of the day, it is going to likely be the apartment building company or, you know, whatever manager is behind it that is going to end up taking the fall for all of this, because that's kind of how it goes. I mean, the engineer that issued the report is going to be able to say, oh, we told them. But the city, the county, the state, they're not really going to want to have their hands in it. They're not going to want to admit that maybe there should have been more oversight there or that maybe when that engineering report was issued that they didn't take it seriously enough. And so I think that's why now they're coming out and saying, oh, okay, we'll just we'll look at all of these high-rise buildings and make sure that the other ones are safe, but they're not gonna wanna talk about the negligence that allowed such a travesty like this to happen in the first place. So I think when it's all said and done, yes, we're gonna see lawsuits, but they're probably going to try to push it off on that apartment building and have them take the fall for it. Yeah, I mean, lawsuits for compensation, but the if there have been criminal offenses committed, uh, somebody has to take responsibility uh, for that. Yeah. We, of course, have exactly uh, similar circumstances in the Grenfell Tower Inferno, when, again, uh, residents repeatedly told uh, the, uh, the owners of the building, uh, which was uh, the local council, uh, that the building was a death trap and that if fire broke out there, uh, the people would be massacred in the subsequent fire. And then it became clear uh, that the building had been clad in uh, absolutely toxic and inflammatory material. Now, uh, of course, a lot of different levels of accountability uh, and a lot of years will go by, but somebody somewhere has to take the responsibility 
for these corporate failures. Is that true also in the U.S.? You know, I hope that it's true, and I hope that that is the case, and especially at a time when you're looking at a Congress that is touting being able to, you know, talk about $1 trillion in infrastructure in terms of their package. I think it really comes back to those individual buildings in cities like this one, where it's like a lot of the residents were a little bit older. This is somewhere that many of them have lived for years. And yes, exactly when it comes to those concerns, if they are voicing concerns, whether it's the residents or in this case, whether it is an engineer looking at the structural makeup of this building and saying, hey, something is wrong here. This could lead to a complete collapse. Yes, I hope that at the end of the day, it does come to actual changes. And I, I mean, that's all that we can look at to hope to come out of it right now. Now, you can't think of Florida without thinking of uh, Donald Trump. Uh, <laughs> I understand there have been some little uh, movement in his, uh, in his political plans. Tell us. That, that's right. We're seeing his first rallies since everything went down just a few months ago. We're finally hearing from Trump. He's speaking out. And it's been a little bit interesting to watch these rallies because we know that he spoke in Montana. He spoke in Ohio. And he's very much focusing on these claims of election fraud from the 2020 election and very much focusing on wanting to call those out. But at the same time, he was also talking about Montana, saying that there was fraud there when that is a state that he won by a significant margin. So we'll see just how long those claims go. Now, of course, he is hinting at a possible run in 2024. And that's the thing that everybody's waiting to see. We know that whenever Democrats tried to go forward with the second impeachment trial earlier this year, they weren't able to completely stop Trump from being able to run again in 2024. Now, in terms of whether he actually decides to do it or whether he's just seeing how much traction he can gain at these rallies that still remains to be seen but i think that it's one of those cases where if he decides to run he is more than likely to get that gop nomination all over again because if you look back at 2020 we see that we had record fundraising i'm talking tens of billions of dollars was raised for the 2020 election so at the end of the day whenever it comes to the republican party the democratic party they are going to follow the money and the republican party knows that trump makes money and that's what it all comes back to now uh, what were the rallies like uh what was the attendance like uh how did he perform uh, does he seem to have declined uh, in any way since 2020 you know, I didn't notice any significant changes. I mean, he's still as much Donald Trump as he ever was. And when it comes to his support, we also have to remember that the majority of the people that voted for him in 2020 believe that the results of the election were fraudulent at the end of the day. They believe that Trump was the rightful winner. And so we're watching him really capitalize on that in every way possible. Now, in terms of what when it comes to the upcoming election, I think what it's going to take is for him to be able to spin those concerns into how does the United States make sure that they address all of those concerns? I mean, because you're talking about tens of millions of American voters who don't believe that the outcome of their election is legitimate. They don't believe that their vote actually counts. 
So Trump is going to have to find a way to make them believe that it counts and to make them get out there and vote. And when it came to 2020, we also have to remember that Democrats spent four years telling people to vote against Trump. So now that we've had four years of not as much talk about him, I think that that'll be an interesting result to see exactly how people go. But we know he is going to continue with these rallies because that's really the only way he's able to actually get in touch with people right now. Were they well attended? Uh, yes, yes. I think I, the one, from what we've seen, he's had attendees. And from what we will see, I, I think that he's still going to get people going out to them. Absolutely. Now, uh, of course, if uh, Joe Biden is on the ticket against him, he'll have to step up the pace a bit, won't he? Because on current form, uh, admittedly, it's only been six months, but Biden isn't exactly uh, got them dancing in the aisles, has he? <laughs> no, he does not. And I think what we're seeing is something we've talked about week after week, which has been just how the media is carrying Biden through all of this. They're talking about the nice things he does with his wife. They're talking about his you know, 13-year-old dog tragically passing away. They're talking about all those little moments that they can really capitalize on, all of the things that you know they think that will make him look a little bit better. But in terms of some of these weird, crazy sound bites that we have gotten from Biden at his press conferences, you know, this one from this week sounded like he was trying to speak in ASMR because he was whispering to reporters over the microphone. Those things that if Trump would have done them, then the media would have provided 24-7 coverage of it. Suddenly Biden does it and he's this sweet old grandfather who is just in the White House leading us all along. So uh, the familiar, I, you know, familiar old cardigan. The familiar pair of slippers. I'm not sure myself if that will play, but then neither am I sure that complaining about the last election is sufficient to win the next one. Uh, is there any sign of a narrative from Trump uh, that he would have done some things that are now being done differently and that if elected again, he would promise to do them differently? Well, I think you make an excellent point there, which is that the more time he spends on this soapbox of saying, you know, 2020 was a fraud, blah, blah, blah. Well, Americans have had to move on from that. They've had to move on. They've had a number of things happen. They're watching prices raise all around. You know, we're really seeing inflation in full effect right now when it comes to housing prices that are skyrocketing, gas prices are skyrocketing, and Americans are feeling that toll at home in a very serious way. And so I think that if Trump really wants to win, he's going to have to come back around that. And he's going to have to touch on the places where Americans are struggling right now and where, of course, now he can pass it off and say, look how terrible the Biden administration is. You know, gas didn't cost $4 a gallon when I was in office. And those are the things that specifically middle America actually resonate with that we're just not seeing right now. So we'll see how long he stays on that soapbox. I think I agree with you there, though. As long as he spends time on that, then he's not spending time on moving forward. So as these rallies go on, it'll be interesting to see how his soundbites change a little bit. Rachel Blevins, as always, thank you very much indeed for joining us. T minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. Ignition, liftoff, liftoff, 30 minutes after the hour. We need to uh, acclimatise the public.
for the introduction of extraterrestrials because come to the conclusion at this point if they're going to come they are going to come soon back in the late 60s and early 70s they actually saw the softer land in front of them or pass by in new york or go overhead it went in front of my eyes up and turned into a, what looked like a star way up in the sky they said the same line that you just made and it was amazing it is an awful waste of space if, if we are all if that there is. all that there is. Exactly. Have you ever seen any of these phenomena? I have seen um, energy entities. One looked like a massive jellyfish. The other one looked like a massive centipede. Well, you had me up to that point. Now I just think you're stark raving mad. Here's the uh, poll. Who leaked the CCTV footage of Matt Hancock? A. Boris B, MI5, C, Putin. You can vote now on my Twitter feed. As I said at the beginning of the show, uh, somebody else may have been Epstein. McAfee, uh, the antivirus man, has been affected, perhaps, by the Clinton crime family virus, which has seen the death of so many of their enemies, in strange and often unexplained circumstances as to raise a question about McAfee. And after uh, what happened to Jeffrey Epstein, you've got to ask when any prisoner tells his wife, if I'm epstein it wasn't me. I am not going to commit suicide. And actually then is found to have committed suicide. Well, Let's just say it raises a great deal of suspicion. A welcome guest uh, on our show always is Whitney Webb, who pioneered the uh, Epstein story, the Ghislaine Maxwell-Epstein uh, connection, uh, and is now on the trail of the Bill Gates-Jeffrey Epstein story. And I have just read her latest oeuvre on that, and to say that it made my hair stand on end is remarkable given I really don't have that much hair. But it is blood curdling. And here she is now to tell us more about it. Whitney, welcome back to the show as always. Um, before we go on to Bill Gates and Jeffrey Epstein, uh, was McAfee Epstein, do you think? Uh, well, I honestly um, am not entirely sure about the details of that, but it definitely um, it does seem suspicious at the very least. Um, but I think there, you know, I'd like to wait for some more information to come out before saying exactly uh, my my thoughts on the matter. But it definitely is, um, you know, concern. And I think it's um, um, fair to say that the U.S. authorities uh, are responsible, whether it's for, uh, you know, in the event that it wasn't in Epstein type of situation, uh, you know, the charges would have driven him to suicide if that was the actual case, or they were responsible for what happened to him in prison if it was foul play. Well summarized. Um, now, many of us, I hope most of us, have followed your coverage uh, of the Jeffrey Epstein case, which, as I say, was in the vanguard right from the beginning. Uh, your work has been peerless uh, on that. But you're breaking new ground now. Tell us about that. 
Sure. So I recently um, did a report on the um, <clears throat> the unreported aspects of the Bill Gates Jeffrey Epstein relationship. Some people are probably most likely aware that after the uh, Gates, Bill and Melinda Gates announced that they would be divorcing. Uh, the Bill Gates-Jeffrey Epstein relationship uh, once again entered the media. Uh, there was sort of a blip on the media radar, I guess you could say, regarding that relationship in 2019, but it, it of course went away uh, for most of last year. But even now that it's gotten renewed scrutiny, um, you know, they are still uh, holding to a narrative that ignores a lot of evidence. Um, so. My main point on that is that um, the official narrative holds that they, they did not meet, Epstein and, and Bill Gates did not meet until 2011, but there is a lot of evidence to the contrary uh, that they actually met uh, decades earlier um, and at the very least knew each other quite well, um, even if they only physically met for the first time in 2011, their ties are extensive and what's um and i would argue the reason that this has not been pursued is that um you know it would also force them to investigate the fact that um epstein had documented and very suspect ties to several microsoft executives uh, suggesting that epstein may have compromised microsoft as a company um not just bill gates and i think if they keep it to 2011 when bill gates was more focused on his philanthropic uh, philanthropic activities, um, you know, they, they can sort of distance uh, that relationship from Microsoft when in fact, um, you know, it should be uh, looked at in greater detail. So um, to start off with that, um, well, just I actually- Well, before you leave that, uh, because London comes in here, uh, in the London Evening Standard, mm -hmm. in a, a story that by a very reputable reporter uh, who has never recanted the story, uh, wrote that uh, Epstein, this is before Epstein got into any trouble, not before he committed any crimes, but before he was known to be a right. criminal, uh, that uh, Epstein had close relations with Donald Trump and Bill Gates. This was 20 years ago. Yes. <laughs> Tell us about that story, if you will. Yeah, so that was an article um, in the Evening Standard, as you mentioned, written by Nigel Rosser. Um, it has been scrubbed from the internet, but you can still find it on uh, paid newspaper databases. Uh, there's a couple reasons why that may have been scrubbed. Um, it talks, for example, about Epstein having claimed in the past that he worked directly for the CIA. Uh, that's probable. It also uh, largely focuses on the Prince Andrew relationship and basically um, asserts, uh, as you mentioned before, Epstein was notorious that um, the whole, that, that uh, Ghislaine Maxwell's role uh, being the social fixer uh, for Prince Andrew was being orchestrated on behalf of Epstein, uh, suggesting back then that it was a blackmail operation. But the one line about Bill Gates is very significant because in describing who Jeffrey Epstein is at this time before he's notorious, um, Nigel Rosser points out that uh, Epstein had made his millions uh, through business links with three individuals, Leslie Wexner, of course, we know those ties quite well, um, Donald Trump, uh, whose ties with Epstein go back to 1987, and Bill Gates is the third name. And of course, to be associated with those two other men, Wexner and Trump, who had, you know, there's photographs of them uh, together and the, the ties there are quite well documented and known. To have Bill Gates up there suggests those ties were quite significant. Um, there is also uh, one Epstein survivor, Maria Farmer, 
uh, who I spoke to personally, who said that she overheard while she was working for Epstein in 1995, that uh, he discussing, I believe with Ghislaine Maxwell, um, Bill Gates, like they were very close friends and she was under the impression that he would be visiting uh, one of their properties soon uh, during that period of time. Can't imagine, uh, can't imagine what for, maybe to look at their, uh, their computer, see that they were all all right, because of course at that time, Bill Gates was in executive control. Uh, yes. of uh, one of the world's uh, biggest companies and moreover, a company engaged in, well, rather sensitive uh, areas of work, the internet, computers, uh, yes. uh, the, the ability to hack and the ability to use the information that is gotten from hacking and so on. Um, that's it that's would, correct. That would fall in with what we now know of, uh, of Epstein's modus operandi, wouldn't it? Because he quite clearly was targeting uh, people of power, uh, people of influence, uh, and maybe he imagined that Prince Andrew had influence. I'd like to say I don't think he ever did, but uh, it doesn't look like that, I'll grant you, from the other side of the ocean. Uh, and it may be that uh, they were targeting Prince Andrew for the very same reasons. Well, potentially it could have been not to necessarily blackmail Andrew, but to blackmail the entire royal family or, or something larger to that um, to that effect. It's it's not quite clear. Um, but I will say that it, it wasn't just Bill Gates in this period. Also, uh, we have Nathan Mervold, uh, who was actually chief technology officer of Microsoft from 1997 uh, for several years. Um, and he was also one of Bill Gates' closest advisors throughout the 1990s. Uh, he's on the Epstein flight manifest with a, on at least two flights. Um, he traveled, Epstein traveled with Mervold to a Microsoft Russia conference um, in, I believe, 1998. Um, and then later when Mervold leaves and he founds his own firm, Intellectual Ventures, Epstein is seen bringing uh, minors uh, to his offices uh, during that period. So that's quite significant that he would be courting, uh, courting the, the chief technology officer of Microsoft at the time. Um, but in addition to that, in 1995, um, Bill Gates also forged a, 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 a pretty close ties with a company that was created by Ghislaine Maxwell's twin sisters, Isabel and Christine Maxwell, that was called uh, M M the McKinley Group. Uh, it was better known through their search engine Magellan, which ended up being the search engine for the early version of MSN and, uh, you know, Microsoft's early internet ventures. And then a few years later, uh, ComTouch, which became Isabel Maxwell's uh, subsequent company, which has uh, documented ties to Israeli intelligence. Um, was basically put on the map, those are Isabel Maxwell's words, by both Paul Allen, one of the co-founders of Microsoft, and Bill Gates. And in the year 2000, in an article in The Guardian, Isabel Maxwell uh, actually purrs, that's The Guardian's quote, as she talks about uh, her relationship with Bill Gates and convincing him to make a personal investment um, in ComTouch, which by the way, she said she joined specifically to continue her father's involvement in Israel. And if you are familiar with the background of Robert Maxwell, you will know that his involvement in Israel was largely centered around espionage, including electronic espionage, like the, uh, the Promise software scandal, in which Isabel and her sister Christine were both directly involved working for uh, the, the front company information on demand that was used to sell bugged Promise software uh, to sensitive U.S. laboratories during the 1980s. I mean, it's really scandalous. Um, 
And, and the fact that hasn't been pursued, I think, is significant. But I think that's part partially because uh, there's an interest in keeping the Epstein narrative focused specifically on Ghislaine Maxwell and Epstein and not allowing it to expand uh, to other people that were potentially involved as well. Um, but Isabel Maxwell is definitely someone to look at. I've written about her extensively. And uh, Christine as well has some intelligence ties um, as well, co-founding a company with a, a, a top CIA official uh, that later became the default software for Homeland Security after 9-11 in the United States, so. Well, I was so close to the downfall of Robert Maxwell, I could mm -hmm. show you my scars, but uh, maybe on another occasion. It's fair to say, isn't it, that there's no evidence uh, that Bill Gates ever attended any of these uh, cultural weekends on the island? Uh, there's, well, no, there's no evidence that he committed any crimes uh, in his association with uh, Epstein, is there? Uh, not that I've seen. It appears to have been mostly business links, but also um, involvement in sort of setting up this new era of uh, billionaire philanthropy, um, because the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the Clinton Foundations were set up around the same time that Epstein created his own uh, philanthropic foundations, which, you know, uh, were openly discussed at the time, the, uh, specifically the, the Gates and uh, in, in Clinton efforts as blurring the lines between uh, business, uh, nonprofits, and philanthropy, basically uh, eliminating the concept of philanthropy as most people think about it and making it into something else. And Epstein was definitely a key uh, mover and shaker in that world. It came out recently that Gates thought uh, Epstein was so influential that he could be his ticket to a Nobel Prize um, and wanted to set up a charitable health fund uh, with JP Morgan uh, and the Gates Foundation that, that Epstein was going to preside over. Um, and of course, the Gates and Clinton Foundations were also intimately um, involved with each other. And we know that um, the the Maxwells as well as Epstein were involved in the Clinton Foundation to a significant degree. And we know now that uh, these uh, Gates meetings uh, that have been reported on by mainstream media, uh, that Gates and Epstein spoke openly about Epstein becoming more uh, involved in the Gates Foundation, though it's not exactly uh, clear if it ever happened or not. But one of Gates, um, well, actually, two of Gates's top science advisors in the past decade have had close ties to Epstein, um, one of them being Melanie Walker and the other one being Boris Nikolic. Boris Nikolic was uh, named a backup executor to Epstein's will. He says he doesn't know how that happened. But if you look at um, the history or, or my more recent reporting um, on this, you'll see that that's kind of a hard um, excuse to, to swallow in that case. And Melanie Walker is a very interesting character since she was actually Epstein's science advisor in the late 90s. Um, and then was reportedly given uh, to Prince Andrew during one of his visits to the Zorro Ranch, New Mexico property of Epstein's, um, according to a housekeeper that worked there um, and apparently uh, entertained powerful men on behalf of Epstein and then was later uh, ended up dating and basically being given, you could argue, uh, to another top Microsoft, to a top Microsoft executive at the time named Stephen Sanofsky. Um, there's also um, another top Microsoft executive uh, around this period that promoted Epstein heavily as well and connected him directly with the MIT Media Lab. Of course, the head of that lab uh, was forced to resign after the Epstein scandal in 2019. But this Microsoft VP, Linda Stone, insisted that even though Epstein had a tainted pass, he was still awesome. And actually, she's listed in her in uh, Epstein's little black book. Um, her contact number is a former uh, Epstein associate. 
um, that was part of his entourage and allegedly involved in his uh, trafficking operation. So that's pretty significant to have that many Microsoft executives um, tied up there. Um, but anyway, Melanie Walker was later hired to be a program manager um, at the Gates Foundation and later uh, rose up in the ranks there. And, you know, her resume at the time was being Epstein's science advisor. And for, uh, you know, Gates to say that he didn't know who Epstein was when this woman's resume was literally Jeffrey Epstein's science advisor, he had to have known about Epstein and Epstein's interests in science if it would have meshed with his own interests in science uh, to have hired her for a position at his foundation, which isn't exactly, uh, you know, the easiest place to get hired into. Now, the, uh, finally, the erstwhile Mrs. Gates is reported to have been concerned about her husband, then husband's uh, association with Epstein. Uh, that could, of course, be uh, ex post facto rewriting of history. It could be divorce, mm -hmm. courtroom politics. Uh, but do you see anything in it? Um, I think, honestly, it's it's Melinda Gates trying to get ahead of the story and, um, you know, look better <laughs> uh, than her husband. Obviously, um, a lot of antics about Bill Gates that have come out in the past, including alleged you know, reports of infidelity while they were married and other things, is going to be really embarrassing uh, to Melinda Gates, as is his, uh, you know, deep association, even if you just believe, you know, the, the mainstream uh, timeline from 2011 on, is also embarrassing that Bill Gates would be socially associated with someone who is, you know, now widely known to have been an intelligence-linked pedophile. <laughs> um, so I think she definitely wants to distance herself from that as much as possible. But they were married, um, I believe, back in 1994. Um, and, you know, she also worked for Microsoft at some point. And it's, I, I don't really know if I buy that she didn't know about, at the very least, the, the business links. And of course, you know, hiring someone like uh, Melanie Walker, for example, uh, you know, it's the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Was she cut out of all of these decisions? Did she have no idea? Um, you know, I'm not uh, exactly sold on that point. I think it's more a PR spin for her to uh, come out on higher ground as this uh, divorce uh, settlement advances. How the other half lives. Thank you, Whitney <laughs> Webb, for that update on the many crimes of Jeffrey Epstein and the many friends of Jeffrey Epstein. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Tom says after independence, we could choose the government we want. Tom, could you not have called me and argued that nonsense? Couldn't you? What's wrong with you, man? You've had the vaccine, go ahead. I went, when I came out, I went into a boxer's stance and started doing a jig. And an old fella said, hey, have you just had that vaccine? I said, aye. And he said to his wife, come on, love, you better get me one of them. He said, uh, make uh, me uh. dance. So you're full of life. <laughs> and Ben says, could Scotland actually do better autonomously? Like I want California to secede. But I think we'd thrive if not burdened by the rest of the US. How very revealing of you, Ben. How utterly revealing of you. And Philip says, how any Labour or Tory supporter has the nerve to say the SNP are corrupt is beyond me. Why do you people not have the guts to call up instead of cowering behind one single name on social media? There's a lot of people in Bradford who won't be taking this uh, uh, antivirus due to religious grounds. Simon, what do you mean by religious grounds? Religious grounds, I mean, many Muslims, for example, have 
issues with regards to this uh, uh, vaccine. Certain well, tell things. Me, tell me what issues. What issues? Well, for example, pork. What does pork have to do with this vaccine? You're, you're, um, you're, you're kind of again. You're, you're clouding the issue here. There's the religious. I'm not clouding uh, the issue. You said you pork. The issue. Of course, you're you the said issue. pork. No, but Simon, other things which Simon, are, probably... are you, are you yourself a Muslim? It doesn't matter whether it I am does, or not. That's because not you the are is, purporting. Is, no, it does. It's justified it does. for people to ask that. Be it's quiet for a moment, for... please. No, I won't. It's justified well, you will, because I'll turn your them. volume down. This is dangerous, reckless, ignorant, and potentially fatal nonsense. Get out of my sight and don't come back. 02077. 982255 is the number if you're in the UK or if you're in the US 001-757-744-4480 or tweet me of course. Jim is in Fort Collins. Go ahead, Jim. Hi, George. Fort Been Collins where? Here. Fort Collins where? Straight Okay, uh, Colorado. Colorado. We've talked before. Known. We've talked before. <laughs> good to hear from you again, Jim. Go on. Okay, good to be here, George. Um, well, in the U.S., uh, we have the Supreme Court as uh, up first. They uh, had a uh, case of uh, child trafficking and child slavery in uh, Africa brought against Nestle, who's been uh, just been horrible to African people over the decades. And um, they were suing, uh, someone was suing on behalf of some of these children. And uh, there was no argument on the facts. It's just that Nestle says these decisions to do that were not done in the United States. So Clarence Thomas wrote the majority opinion saying goodbye to these people. Uh, Nestle's is okay. Wow. <laughs> and then the same. I, 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 remember, yeah, and, I remember boycotting Nestle 40 years ago. Right, yeah. These guys won't stop. Amazing. And, and, um, so so Clarence, Clarence gave yeah. uh, Nestle a clean bill of health and told uh, the Africans to, to get lost. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Yeah, in a matter of speaking, yes. And also... As on the court, um, Goldman Sachs was being sued by its investors. This is going back to the uh, the the meltdown of the economy in 2008, when Goldman Sachs was selling the subprime garbage and saying it was good. 
than shorting it <laughs> when the when the investors weren't around, so they were they were winning on both sides, and that was thrown out. Um, they said they didn't make the case that uh, the the these advisory opinions affected the price or something. Uh, you know, really disgusting. I think they may have a shot to refile, but uh, this was this opinion was written by. Uh, Amy, Comey, Natasha, Schwartz, you know, whatever her name is. Was she, was she the latest a, uh, appointment to the court? Yeah, she's the one who belongs to some Catholic organization called People of Praise. And she uh, holds a position in this, this organization as a handmaiden. That's what she actually is called. <laughs> and she's, now, I don't know if the church has any real connection in, in, with this organization, but... You can look this up. They're called I will. People of I will. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. interested. So uh, the court is behaving uh, as uh, as people expected with uh, Donald Trump's appointments. Yeah, they're, yeah? they're running interference for um, the corporate America. <laughs> who'd, have, and, who'd, have, who'd, um, who'd have thunk it, Jim? Who'd have thunk it? Thanks for that yeah, right. update <laughs> on the U.S. Supreme Court. Much obliged to you. Christopher is in China, in Hong Kong. Uh, on COVID travel. Christopher, go ahead. Hey, how are you this evening, Gigi? Uh, going well for you and Brettley and Spen, I see. So uh, Chris Williams up there, all looking good, sir. All is right with the world. On you go. Exactly. Well, I, I could moan, so I shall. Um, if it's complicated in the UK for trying to get out of the UK to have a holiday, it's more complicated for those that are trying to get back to the UK from uh, Asia, Pac, Canada, USA, etc., to actually see their uh, family, elderly parents, etc. So, so you're, um, in, you're in China now. China would have no objection, home. would they, to you traveling to the UK? Is the problem at the uh, UK end? No, the problem's down there at the UK end and uh, in Hong Kong, as well as in China, by the way. Um, if I fly to the United Kingdom at the moment, um, I've got a 10-day quarantine in the UK on my arrival. Never mind, I have to be tested before I get on the flight and have one or two tests whilst I'm in the UK, despite the fact I'm only there for eight days. Then I fly back to Hong Kong. As it currently stands, despite being vaccinated, I will have 21 days quarantine and will have to have three COVID tests, and uh, uh, strange as it is, even with the tests and everything that are being done before people get on flights, because they're not allowed to get on a flight before they fly to Hong Kong, um, this weekend alone, two passengers from the United Kingdom um, were COVID positive upon arrival in Hong Kong this weekend, and uh, flights are pretty regulated as it is. Um, so it's difficult. So uh, I was supposed to be seeing mum and dad at the end of, uh, of July with my daughter, and that's all cancelled. I'm very sorry to hear that, Christopher. Uh, uh, I hadn't actually paused to think uh, about expats such as yourself, uh, and uh, it sounds like a, a pretty miserable uh, state of affairs. Keep us updated, will you, on uh, how you get on. Uh, now, who leaked the CCTV footage of Matt Hancock? In the Twitter poll, Boris is now on 50%. Half of you think that Boris 
leaked the CCTV footage. A third of you think it was MI5. 17% of you unaccountably think it was President Putin. Uh, but on the Telegram poll, uh, there are interesting differences. On the Telegram poll, only 44% of you think it was Boris. 43% of you think it was MI5, a full 10% more of you. And only 13% of you think it was President Putin. But let's talk now to Lisa Francesca Nand on COVID and travel. Lisa, thank you very much again for joining us. We've missed you. It's been some time uh, since we last saw you, uh, but we've not been able to go anywhere since we last saw you. Uh, you've presumably been auditioning for other parts because uh, I'm not sure there's much call for a travel, uh, a travel expert like you when there's not much travel happening. Uh, Actually, I, it's the opposite, George. I'm so it? busy because I'm reporting on all the travel. So although I'm not going anywhere, I'm actually busier than ever in many well, ways, but just doing then. this sort of thing. Tell us what the current situation is. Okay, so the announcement came that we've all been waiting for last Friday as to what green list, new green list countries uh, might be uh, available. And, and sadly, I mean, there are new list, uh, new green list countries added. There's Malta, there's the Balearics, there's some Caribbean islands. But in terms of the travel industry and people wanting to go away this summer, it just feels like not enough was done, unfortunately. I think the government should have been just a little bit braver uh, in, in order to get people moving and, you know, to save jobs, really, at this point. It's not just about holidays anymore. Well, holidays are important for many people. Travel is important for business, but we're also talking about a very serious economic situation within travel and aviation. Quite so. Uh, so it's now safe to go to that well-known socially distancing venue of Ibiza, uh, but not safe uh, to go to the sparsely populated Algarve. Uh, explain to me how. Well, absolutely. I have no idea how. And if you look at the levels across Europe, they're, they're lower than us. Um, and in fact, many people should say, indeed, Angela Merkel is actually saying this, but maybe we should be on their red list rather than the, uh, than the other way around. So it makes no sense when you look at the data. And that's something that the travel industry have actually been calling for. It's like, why? Tell us how this works. It doesn't make any sense when you look at the figures out of 100,000, which is how they work. Our vaccine's doing so well here. It got off to a slower start in the EU countries but they're doing well now. So, you know, we really, really do need to get the things moving. And there's so many things that are so confusing and, and don't make any sense about it all. This is such a screamingly obvious set of points. It makes you wonder why we're still having to make them. Uh, it, it, you've got a, a travel industry, an aviation industry, both of them on their knees. You've got tens of millions of citizens who want to travel and yet we're still being given the red light. Can you shed any light on that? No, and I, I, nobody is shedding any light on this at the moment. You know, we, we're repeatedly asking government to clarify things and to do it quickly. You know, they talked about having this double jab situation whereby people that have had the two jabs don't have to quarantine when they come back from amber countries. But they said later in the summer. And what does that even mean? There is no later in the summer in terms of, of people booking and wanting to go on holiday. I mean, I, I don't know about you, George, but even the most gung-ho of travellers I know at the moment are thinking, well, 
actually, I can't be bothered if it's just a if it's just a holiday. I mean, I'm trying to go. I'm trying to get to Spain. But like you and like many other people, I'm actually separated from friends and family and and people I love. It's it's not just about a holiday for many people. But for people who it is a holiday, you can't blame them for saying, actually, I'm not going to bother. And of course, that is causing further woes for the for the travel industry. And, uh, you know, I've been busy, so I haven't followed it uh, closely. But is any is the opposition in Parliament opposing this or are they tail ending Boris Johnson's government as usual? No, actually, actually, Keir Starmer is saying that he wants them to go further in terms of banning international travel. So actually, the, the Tory government are, are a little bit more of support of business uh, at the moment, but not nearly in support of business as we want them to be. It's almost like they've got some sort of death wish for the travel industry. You know, I'm speaking to people all the time, like travel agents that have spent the last 15, 16 months working, 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 booking stuff and then rebooking it. And they're actually not even getting paid. A few people in the travel industry have fallen through the cracks in terms of a furlough and support and that sort of thing. So it's even before the pandemic, we had big businesses going out, you know, Fly B, BMI, Thomas Cook, although they did, they did come back in a certain extent uh, online. But these big businesses were failing even before the pandemic. I mean, it was a very real situation that actually big companies are, are really going to be in trouble if something doesn't happen very quickly. Uh, just go through, if you would, uh, which countries we can definitely travel to, enter without going into quarantine and come back from without having to quarantine. That might be a short list, uh, but please uh, tell us it because I, I don't know it. It is a very short list. So Malta is the main destination. The Balearic Islands, that's Mallorca, uh, Menorca, Ibiza and Formentera. You can go for a nice week in Gibraltar if you want to. Um, but it very confused. Oh, and a few of the Caribbean islands as well, which is very good. But very confusingly, the only new destination that was actually on the green list was Malta. They've now introduced this flashing green list, which is meant to warn us that actually these countries are, are flashing green. They might turn amber at any minute. So you'll have the same thing that we had with Portugal. Three weeks ago where it goes green and then and then suddenly goes amber and lots of people are, are struggling to get back so that's not the best environment for people to start booking holidays and when you eat, forget those now greenless countries if you went to an amber uh, first you're allowed to go to an amber country you are allowed to go to an amber country. It's not illegal at the moment, um, but it, it's the situation is what happens when you when you get back from that amber country yeah. so, so what does happen do they uh, stop you at the airport and say you've been to an amber country, you must now quarantine for how many days? 10 days. 10 days. So if you come back from a red list country, you have to do those awful hotel uh, quarantines, which just seem absolutely hideous. But you can kind of understand it because red, you know, they, they, there is a more dangerous situation there. So, so they say. But Amber, you'd have to take a, a PCR test on day two, a PCR test on day eight and isolate for 10 days at home. My parents are here. They came over from Spain. They were separated from their grandchildren. They just couldn't wait. And then they came over for six weeks and they were phoned every single day, sometimes twice a day by the authorities to check they were where they where they say they were so they're being very strict but then you also have the option to pay to get out of quarantine on day five so i do not understand does the virus only you know go for the people who can't afford to take that day five test it just seems it you know makes no sense at all well that makes no sense at all now you you are the oracle on these matters and you don't have a crystal ball but is it a safe guess you think that this summer uh, like last summer is going to be a write-off, basically? 
I, I want to say no. I know there is an appetite for travel. People are booking. Um, but, you know, this uncertainty is, is really killing off people's hopes and dreams about going away, but also the travel industry as well. The next date we're looking to is July the 15th for things to re be reviewed. And I just hope there's some good news then, or if not earlier, you know, give us some idea when we're going to be able to go away so people can start planning and actually booking something. Is it driving up prices, Lisa? Yeah, in, in some instances it is. So um, tickets to the, the green list and the flashing green list countries are now, uh, you know, Menorca, Mallorca, Ibiza, the, the, the flights have gone up uh, quite a lot. The people, lucky, some lucky people actually booked last year and they've got their, their, their flights and holidays to save Malta. They're like, yes. Uh, but yeah, they, they have gone up now. They really have. Wow. It's an incredible situation. Uh, it, and I feel for you. I'm glad that you're busy, obviously. But from what you say, the rest of your industry is very far from, and indeed uh, some big names might well uh, uh, bite the dust. Lisa Nand, thank you very much indeed for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. Keep us posted, please. Uh, now here's an interesting poll and an interesting difference between Twitter and the Telegram. Why hasn't Prince Andrew been interviewed by the police over the Jeffrey Epstein affair? 42% of you think it's institutional corruption. 43% think it's because Prince Andrew is above the law. And 15% of you think he has nothing to answer. But on the Telegram poll, only 1% of you think he has nothing to answer. Now, just to remind you, my Telegram channel is t.me forward slash George Galloway. Uh, so on the Telegram poll, 1% say he has nothing to answer, 50% of the people say he's above the law, 49% of the people say it's institutional corruption. Let's take a quick break, then it's Patrick Christie's. It's always worth watching. <laughs> Now, I've got a long list of places that you can watch as well as listen. Of course, listeners are just as valuable to us as viewers. We're not vain or anything. We like to think that as many people are listening as are watching. But if you are watching, here's where you can do it. Moats TV Twitter, Moats TV Facebook, Twitch on RT International's YouTube and RT International's Facebook, on RT UK's YouTube and RT UK's Facebook, on RT UK's Twitter, and on George Galloway Facebook, George Galloway YouTube, George Galloway Twitter, and on FM in the Washington DC area of the United States, 105.5 FM there and right across the United States on AM, out of Maryland. And the monologue is streamed as usual on Instagram. And thousands, of course, are listening on our good friends, sputniknews.com. Download their app, why don't you? Join the growing number of people studying at the Open University of the Airways. Commentator and journalist joins me now. Thank you, Patrick. Tom writes, if infidelity is now a resigning matter in government, as opposed to naked corruption, yeah. I anticipate a large number of vacancies may be in the offing. 
Tom has a point, doesn't he? He does, and I think it's one of the issues which is that I think for Boris Johnson, who initially didn't sack him, right, which is, which is by the way, a massive problem, I think Boris Johnson had an issue with the idea that you could sack someone for cheating on your wife. I wonder because, why. Because that's a, yeah, because that's overtly a problem for Boris. He, he arguably, well, he definitely would not have got to where he is today, would he? There's layers to this Matt Hancock stuff. I like think a, so. Like Much very, more than meets the eye. Like a very rotten onion, George. Mm. You peel one back and there's only something worse out. Why did this woman have a job, a job that we're paying for, and we go £15,000, which is allegedly her salary, I think it was her salary. Well, it's £15,000 too much. At the end of the day, we're paying for it. Should she have been there to begin with? Why didn't he resign immediately? Why wasn't he sacked, as we've touched on? It's also the issue, apart from everything else as well, of he didn't actually apologise to his wife, did he? Now, you can publicly humiliate your wife and kids, but you won't publicly apologise to them. I think that's a certain kind of man, George. Yes, uh, it was uh, uh, an ugly uh, resignation in, in many different respects. And the conduct of the media was rather ugly yeah. this morning uh, with the... Uh, erstwhile Mrs. Hancock outside her house. She's played it very well, but I mean, it's, it's terrible that she's been put in this position. By the way, it's, it's worth noting, yes, OK, the media, you can argue that they, they were always going to turn up. That's, that's the media. If Matt Hancock hadn't have cheated on his wife, then she would not have been put in this position. And, and whilst you can say the media's like, yeah, if he hadn't cheated on his wife, then he wouldn't be here. She's played it very well. She's still wearing her wedding ring, by the way. Now, the noises that I'm hearing, and it's from very basically almost her really, is that this caught her completely by surprise. Basically, on Thursday, her husband came home and said, there's a story about to break and our marriage is over. And he then woke his eight-year-old child up and said, by the way, this is what's happening, which I don't know how you explain to an eight-year-old anyway. He's gone about this in the worst possible way. And I think that realistically it says something. Is he actually really leaving her for Gina, who is it, are they in love? Or is it actually the fact that maybe Matt Hancock was too afraid to have that conversation with his wife and he's just ducked out? And I think there's a, it's an interesting question. Well, uh, I thought there were many odd things. We'll come on in a minute to who might have filmed it. But yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I thought that the, uh, the staging of, yeah. uh, if that's not the wrong yeah. word, uh, of the, the kiss. Well, the first kiss. Uh, it, it looked like a first kiss to oh, me. Oh, cool. yeah, did it? Uh, I mean, it looked like a first kiss. Yeah, uh, what do you think? Although... He did put his hand on her posterior, which yeah. most people wouldn't do on a first kiss. But yeah. what I'm saying is it looked extremely awkward. It didn't look yeah. to me like a kiss between two people who were already in love and passionate lovers. I, I think to counter that is what I would just say is two words. It's Matt Hancock, which is... It, it's <laughs> potentially that's maybe what we're that's dealing with. Maybe, maybe that's how conservatives kiss. Maybe that's it. Know. You know, I, don't know, I don't know how good a lover Matt Hancock... But I'll still the story for a different time. Uh, but, effing uh, effing uh, useless? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it turns out it wasn't, it wasn't just Boris. No, no, <laughs> but, um, look, I think, well, there's, there's that. The fact is, there's a lot here. I think the CCTV camera was obvious. There were some stories going around today in the media which were wrong, which was, oh, did, we can't believe this, did the Chinese government fit a secret camera? No, the CCTV camera exists and has always existed in that office. There's a picture of it in the office. So Matt Hancock knew it was there and didn't care. The arrogance of the man, right? Then, OK, there's the security issues. I imagine we're going to come on to that. Of course there is. But there's, for me as well, the fundamental point which we cannot get away from, which is if your name is at the bottom of the laws which have been placing us into lockdown, you have to stick by the rules. Just very quickly, there's a friend of mine whose father was diagnosed with terminal cancer, was given a year to live and tragically had under a year to live. And for that entire period was not allowed to go to the hospice to hug his dad goodbye. Meanwhile, Matt Hancock is clearly, as we've all seen, snogging the face off his top aide. And that's a bit rum, George. It's very difficult for many thousands of people, I think, to accept people who 
in that very tragic case, uh, there will be many people like that. Uh, others were simply n not able to hug their mother, hug their grandmother. Uh, people who were in separate households were not allowed to see each other, even if they had been lovers and so on. Mm. Uh, so the hypocrisy yeah, is capital H. Uh, there's no doubt uh, about that. What about the, uh, the provenance, though, of the film? You say, and you seem to be sure of it, uh, that this was CCTV yeah. film. Uh, are you 100% yeah, sure of that? I, 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 well, well, I am as much as I can be in the sense of the fact that that camera did exist. I've, what I have seen with my seemed own... seemed to me from above, you see. It what, seemed to me like from a smoke alarm. What, what I have seen with my own eyes, uh, having never personally been in that office, is a picture taken at least a year ago of the inside of that office. And in the inside of that office, there is a CCTV camera, roughly speaking, where the CCTV camera, the angle of it would have been. Now, that's all I can go off. Uh, that's, that exists, so there is a camera there. Now, that's where I'm, that's where I'm at with that. And so, yes, I, I do believe that there was that. From what I've also heard is that this is by no means the first time that Matt Hancock... This was bizarrely not a particularly secret thing, apparently, amongst the department. And, and again, I think that's, that's, clearly a, that's, that's clearly an issue regarding Matt Hancock. Yeah. Um, now... Uh... How did it then get from the CCTV well, camera now, to, to the sun? So, what I also heard was this CCTV footage, and this is, this is cast iron, the CCTV footage on that has a two-week delay self-deleting element. So, after two weeks, the CCTV footage from inside that office deletes itself. So, an individual recorded that, I believe, off their mobile phone, waited for it to be deleted, and then leaked it to an anti-lockdown group, who then, in turn, gave it to the Sun, which now makes it almost impossible to trace exactly who did that. You could maybe, I don't know how many people work in the security department there, you could possibly narrow it down to literally all of those people, but you absolutely now, as far as we're aware, cannot singularly prove the individual that did that. This was a targeted thing. Someone has played a relatively long game here, and certainly, as we know, the Sun are mad for it, aren't they? It, it, just, uh, yeah, we've got a picture of where? Mm. I hope it's not of Matt Hancock kissing. It is. Good it stuff. Is. <laughs> this is from the Daily Mail. Uh, do we have to look upon this? Yeah, yeah. Uh, let me look away. Uh, some might say, yeah. not me, because I know you to be an honest oh, man. There we go. The beauty with your story is it exculpates all of his colleagues, exculpates well. Boris and Cummings and the security services and... The Chinese and well, the Russians yeah, 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 yeah. and uh, exculpates everyone except a security staff member. Yes, uh, yes, I suppose so. By doesn't the way, mean, well, doesn't no, mean you're wrong. No, no, no. But also, the, there's a limit to how right I can feasibly say that I am, right? Because I, look, I, I, at the end of the day, I didn't personally leak this footage, right? So there's a limit to how much I can only go off the sources that I have, and I believe that they're fair enough. What I will say is that I, um, whilst it's a security breach. Do I think that it's important for the public to have known that the man whose name is at the bottom of a lot of the laws that have trapped us, really, it has been a rampant hypocrite? Yes, I do. And so for a single second, I am not really blaming anyone for leaking this. I also don't think it escalates Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson had a, 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 an opportunity here 
to sack an individual for something he should have done and didn't do. And I don't think for a single second that Boris emerges well from this. I think he should have done. And I understand why he didn't, because let's be honest, as we've already touched on, Boris might feel a bit squiffy about sacking someone for cheating on his missus. However, Although that wouldn't have, have been the reason, because in well, this government, you cannot sack someone for cheating yeah, on their not anymore. missus. Some of them, are, <laughs> some of them have got misters. And they cheat on them. <laughs> some of them have not got a missus, but sleep with other people's yeah, misses, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so on. So you couldn't sack them for that, but you could sack them for, yeah. for breaking the rules. Which I Why don't, didn't he do that? And that's what I actually don't understand. Now, it's interesting, I spoke to a couple of Conservative MPs this morning, actually. One of them, Peter Bone, Peter Bone. And Peter Bone is, is of the view that this was absolutely ludicrous. And there's an interesting split in the Conservative Party now. What I think was fascinating, and the public should find fascinating, is how quickly a lot of the Tory bigwigs came out in total defence of Matt Hancock. Now, the, the real issue here is that Matt Hancock has, has broken the rules and there is a serious question about whether or not the Met Police should be knocking on his door. Now, I'm not calling for an individual to get arrested, I'm not banging in favour of that stuff. What I am saying is a lot of people have been criminalised due to the coronavirus laws and actually here's a video of something that was technically illegal under a law that Matt Hancock made. Right? <laughs> so, so maybe the Met should have a pop, right? Yeah. And, and, and Although they've said they won't uh, no, because yeah. it's, uh, I don't know, in the past or... When was it? Do you know? When that May, kiss took May, place. Yeah. So it's, apparently it was the night of the local her. elections. Everyone was distracted by Tory success. Really and Matt, a good and Matt day Hancock to, got, uh, got tracks and, tracks and trace her tonsils. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but perhaps he thought she uh, was choking on, uh, <laughs> on, a, on a coronavirus <laughs> test or something. Um, but the, the, the reality is uh, that he has now plighted his troth to this woman, oh, done, yeah. who was also cheating, let's not forget, on her husband who's considerably richer than yeah. uh, Matt Hancock. Yeah. Uh, she may, she may yeah. later regret uh, this, uh, this decision. Unless, of course, Hancock goes on uh, through the revolving door and into the companies that profited so mightily from his tenure well, as Secretary of State. Well, it's a couple of things. I think arguably the big question is that Matt Hancock has found two women who are willing to kiss him. But, uh, you know, there's, there's that, isn't there? Oh, okay. uh, but, but, but apart from that, so, so Gina, and forgive me now for fundamentally mispronouncing this poor lady's name, uh, Colla D'Angelo, that's as close as I'm going to get, yeah. is married to... Gina Collada, we call her, uh, well, for short. Well done, mate. And so uh, Oliver Tress, off of Olivier Bonas, if you're of a certain class, Oliver Bonas, to you and me. Yeah. And, um, uh, yeah, so, so she's, she's obviously doing all right. Now, part, part of the issue, if not, if not all of it with this, is that Matt Hancock has decided to leave his wife for this. There was an interesting other story that was buried in the paper today, which is that actually Matt Hancock apparently, apparently, he denies, uh, was lied, actually, about, you know, the, you know the bloke, his mate who owned a pub, who he gave a... Yes, yes, who yes, rand yes, Totally yes. randomly gave a PPE contract to, yes. because, of course, that's what you do. Yes. Well, there was, a, there was essentially, potentially, a lie that was told about... The fundamental element here is that, actually, is Matt Hancock just very dodgy? And, and that's quite an important question. It's, it's one thing cheating on your wife, and look, don't condone it, people have affairs, whatever. It's another thing to actually, on top of that, employ a woman at the taxpayer's expense, and then on top of that, go and potentially lie... Then be on top of her. And, get, yeah. uh, and then, <laughs> then uh, uh, the, 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 the barman pulled a pint and a PPE yeah, yeah, contract. Yeah, so, so, yeah. And then there's his sister's yeah. company in which he owns 25%. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it writes itself. There is, it writes itself, <laughs> uh, although we're doing quite well. Uh, what about the yeah. private emails? Yeah. See, to me, of course, the, the, the mail was devastating, the other papers were devastating, but the Sunday Times had the plum story because they have got the goods that he was doing government business on a private email account 
which American viewers will remember from the yeah. Hillary Clinton times. But in this case, he was actually negotiating contracts yeah. on his private email account. That may potentially be a crime, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's almost a double crime. And that's exactly why I said I have no problem saying to you the, the question of, it's a realistic question, is Matt Hancock very dodgy, right? And that's, that is, that's not something you just throw out there, right? That's important. Now, you look at it and I wonder whether a little bit of Matt Hancock is almost a throwback to the old jobs for the boys type stuff. And in this case, jobs for the mistress as well, by the sounds of things. But jobs for the boys kind of stuff, which is that, you know, actually... I think when I look at Matt Hancock, a man who could not apologise to his wife and kids in public, he's someone who clearly feels as though he's above contempt. And when you see the emails that we've seen today, which is that essentially he's given his mate, who just owns a pub, multi-million pound contract to do PPE, with no, with no kind of cost-benefit rule whatsoever there, I actually look at this and I think actually it's, it's worrying how close to power this man was. It's very concerning and that's something that for me hasn't got enough traction. This guy was very close to the seat of power. And when you look at all of this, there's multiple different things that he could and indeed should have been sacked for. In fact, as you rightly pointed out, George, there's multiple things that he could and indeed should be spoken to the Met Police about. And that's a concern. Now, very powerfully put, does it contribute in your mind to a sense, it does in mind, I should tell you in advance, it does in mind, a sense that Boris Johnson himself is drifting perhaps drifting to the rocks. I don't mean the government. Uh -huh. Obviously, the government's got a solid majority. Uh, the Conservative government will go on. But will Boris Johnson go on? Well, what, I think, what I think happened here was that in an ideal world for Boris Johnson, let's just say that we do, fingers crossed, unlock in three or four weeks' time, whenever that is, right? I think, realistically, he was going to have a reshuffle then. And I think, in an ideal world, what he would have done is then just move Hancock on. And what that gave him the opportunity to do was therefore pin everything that happened before on Hancock. He did not like the idea of having to employ a new health secretary in the meantime, just in case we have a new variant and something kicks off and all of a sudden it becomes two people's fault. Same with Gavin Williamson, right? He's going to go, the education minister, just leave him where he is now until you bin him off and pin it all on him. And so I think that's what Boris was hoping for. The fact is that Hancock behaved so shockingly badly and the public reaction was so bad, he had to move him on in the meantime. What I heard today, which I don't buy, by the way, was from a couple of Tory MPs, was that Boris is very loyal to his friends. Now, I would say that if you're not loyal to your own missus, how can you be loyal to your friends? And indeed, was Matt Hancock a friend? So I do not buy that. I think, actually, Boris is quite soft, and I think that's what we're being shown here. The idea that he didn't just come out and sack him, for me, is a concern. The only thing that could be on top of all of that, apart from what I just said there, is does Hancock know where some bodies are buried, and, and is there a bit of that? Patrick Christie's fascinating. Thanks for your inside information. And, uh, and not necessarily information, some of it was information, but analysis, top class, front line analysis. Let's take a quick break. Hey you, do you want to know more of what's happening in the world right now? Of course you do. But getting to the heart of the story, well, that's going to take some hard work. That's why here at the Mother of All Talk Shows, we've created that program just for you. Hosted by one of the world's most sagacious minds. Get a perspective, an education on stories from all around the world, dissected and discussed with you. Join our debate, vote in our polls on Twitter, tweet a question to George or call in now to give us your perspective on the stories the rest of the world simply isn't talking about. Join the College of Knowledge where there are no tuition fees. Hosted by one of the world's greatest orators, the mother of all talk shows with George Galloway. 
Let's make sense of the world together. Let's go to Mick in Illinois on the Jeffrey Epstein affair. Go on, Mick. How you doing, Mr. Galloway? All good. Nice to hear from you. What would you like to say? Well, that uh, the first Mrs. Trump had a connection with uh, Maxwell. Yeah. I've seen the tape from BBC Australia, um, BBC, 60 Minutes Australia. Yeah. And they showed uh, a young lady, the first lady who turned them in back in the 90s, I believe. Yeah. And they were cruising around uh, in a limo around the New York Performing Arts uh, High School. Mm-hmm. I just don't know why these things don't get shown over in this country. Well, uh, um, they don't really get shown over in this country. The, the Robert Maxwell uh, that I knew and fought and could show you my scars that he inflicted on me, uh, I could also show you the check that he had to pay me, which was an extremely large one. Uh, for for damages uh, for uh, libel, um, but I had a a part to play, uh, a small one, but a bigger one than you would think, because I was a member of Parliament at the time and free to speak in Parliament without fear of being sued by him. And so I've watched the whole family Maxwell uh, for a very long time, and Whitney Webb spoke fascinatingly about the work done, in particular by the Maxwell daughters, not just Ghislaine, uh, but the two others, their connections to Israel, their connections to the world of intelligence and so on. I have been absolutely convinced from the beginning that the Epstein affair was in fact an intelligence affair. Uh, there was dirty and criminal, illegal sex involved, of course, but I suspect that that was compromised that he was gathering on others uh, that he later used to blackmail them with. Uh, what's, your, uh, what's your view on that, Mick? That's old. Uh, the honey trap, honey pot, whatever they call it. Yeah. They used it on the Marines in the Moscow Embassy. The Nazis had a place called Club Kitty. I'm not sure if it's in Berlin or where, but it was a bordello that was on the ambassador level. And the scapo had uh, the floor above it and below it. And we're bugging, bugging the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. And um, KGB, whatever, they were quite interested in that setup when they came upon the scene. Okay. But it was Club Kitty. Yeah, I think I'll give it a wide berth. I almost got... I'll, I'll give it a wide berth. Last word to you, Mick. I almost got to see you some years back in Galway. Oh, yeah? You were speaking at the university. Yeah, I, I quite often uh, speak in Galway. I have very, very uh, good friends there. Uh, I showed my uh, Tony Blair film there, and I'll show my uh, David Kelly film there also. Uh, the Galway Peace Committee are good friends of mine. Uh, were you just visiting, or uh, are you a regular there? Are you connected to Galway? Oh, yeah. Uh, my mother's from beyond the uh, Cromwell River. Beyond Galway Bay? Uh, in Galway Bay, actually, one of the islands. What a Not the Aarons, but there's one of my lots favorite, of different one islands. One of my favorite songs, Mick. Thanks very much indeed. 
for that call. Now, uh, here's an email from Graham. I suspect it was a guard service officer monitoring the office entrance doors, and they have recorded the footage from a monitor onto their phone. Also, no one is allowed to have hard copies of secret documents marked secret UK eyes only. Uh, eyes only means eyes only. I suspect someone had taken them and wanted to sell the information, but couldn't go through with it. The story that someone said they'd lost them is a false truth. Thank you, Graham. And uh, Tom's uh, um, bull point that if infidelity was now a resigning matter, large number of vacancies are now in the offing. Why hasn't Prince Andrew been interviewed by the Met? Teddy says you can only be above the law if your institutions are corrupt. You're quite right, Teddy. I saw it immediately. A and B are tautologists. And JP says they can't be bothered, probably. And Pithy Baldred says because the Jeffrey Epstein affair is a USA crime issue, which occurred in the USA and on Epstein's island. Do we really want the Met Police to be pursuing crimes in the USA when they have enough crime in the UK to deal with? Hashtag just asking. Well, I'm just answering. The allegation is that Prince Andrew uh, committed a criminal offence in London, not the United States. And a question of why uh, he hasn't been interviewed by the police doesn't state the Metropolitan Police. Why has Prince Andrew not been interviewed by the FBI? That's my question. And Alan McGee says the UK has a deep state brigade also. And Pete says the older I get, the more I believe in some sort of deep state that us everyday folk can do little, if anything, to change the status quo. Terence is in Norwich. Let's hear from him. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, Terence. Yeah, the point I'd like to make is, you know, over the many years I've watched certain political operators, yourself included, um, you're a real loss to what would be organized labor. And I think what you're doing in Batley and Spend is greatly undervaluing your services. Labor, Thank you. Tory. Now then, Labour, Tory. Um, uh, the only way to beat the Tories because they're organised capitalism and they always stick together. <clears throat> the only way Labour has got to be organised is to go to the Greens for the future and to take the power that way and to join those um, fence-sitters, the Liberal Democrats who get most saying nothing, but they are on the up. So you have organized two, uh, three political parties, possibly, because Labour is disorganized. Uh, the internet and everything has wiped it all out. You had Bevin on one side who hated Nigel. Keir Starmer has a chance to put Emily Thornberry, who was not very popular, and David Lamy, and I know they don't get on, and get on with the policies. And you were cheering them up all the time. We miss the likes of the Galloways. They're not there anymore. Um, I'm not going to puff any ego that you may have because I don't think you have. I, I really Wait, don't. Uh, of all the things that are said about me, that is actually the least accurate. <laughs> Terence, you're a gentleman. I, I really appreciate it. I hurry on only because of the lateness of the hour. And I need to fit in Victor in London, who's a new caller and therefore particularly welcome. Victor, go ahead, sir. Hello, George. How are you? By the grace of God, I'm great. I'm in fighting fit. Thank you. 
Great, great. Um, one question I wanted to ask that um, no one else has really been asking regarding um, Donald Trump running for the 2024 election. Yeah. Um, since he couldn't stop the alleged fraud when he was in power, how on earth does he expect to prevent it in 2024 when he's out of power? A very good point. Uh, and maybe that's why he's banging on about it. Uh, maybe he hopes that there will be significant changes in the midterm elections. Maybe he hopes that the judges he stuffed into the Supreme Court will find some backbone and gratitude towards him. Maybe he thinks he can mobilize public opinion to the extent that he shifts uh, the uh, terms of trade, if you like. Uh, there's a lot of maybes in there, uh, but I suspect he might be onto something. What do you think? Uh, I honestly think, um, you know, not taking any side in this, I think he hasn't got a chance in hell. Um, if, you know, I mean, if he had, uh, what was it, Mike Pompeo when, as his Secretary of State? Mm-hmm. He did, yes. And he was Fat former Mikey director from of the, the Sopranos. Yeah, he does, he does look like the guy from The Sopranos, definitely. That's what I always thought. Um, but he was unable to, you know, he's former director of the CIA, and obviously yeah. he couldn't use his connections, you know, to muster up any type of investigation or yeah. any positive measures to prevent this yeah. alleged fraud. So um, would, you, would, your advice to, would your advice to Trump, and I know that he is a listener to the show, uh, would your advice be to him uh, that he forgets about it and anoints someone else maybe? Um, not wanting to take sides in this, I'd say to Donald Trump that you'd have to get international observers in to view the elections and obviously have some type of um, that would, computer forensic to, that would, to analyze that would be ex it. If you, you want to certify it. That would be exquisitely. Uh, uh, Who knows, maybe Russian uh, Chinese observers, uh, but I don't think that will happen. Russian Chinese <laughs> observers, I'll even go and observe it. Uh, thank you, Victor. Excellent for a first call. Ian, in Hounslow <laughs> on Labour. Go ahead, Ian, always welcome. Uh, hi, uh, George. Hi. I was just listening to your previous callers, uh, Mike from the USA, Jeff from Northampton, I think Kieran's in Sunderland, yeah. about the manufacturing of consent. Yeah. And people are powerless. They're drowning in a cocktail of confusion, and they just don't know what to do, and they know no one's speaking up for them. That's exactly right. Uh, the, and there's millions involved. I can tell you from my own work uh, on the streets <clears throat> over the last six weeks or so uh, that the visceral detestation of the Labour Party is palpable <clears throat> amongst particularly white English working class people. Uh, you know, that's not a script from me, Ian. I, with my own eyes and ears, I have seen it, felt it, not had to stimulate it. It's bristling out there amongst the white English working class. They feel that Labour hates them and they hate Labour back. I don't know what it's like in Hounslow, Ian, but it's definitely like that in the north. Well, we're having, we're having a similar problem here, but I won't go into it now. Okay. But I was just thinking, if there was a general public belligerence against the government, like opting out of this sharing of medical data through your doctor, um, not using credit cards, just using cash, um, refusing to participate in surveys, just this 
micro-revolution, just saying to the state, we're not having it. We're not cooperating. Uh, and it's not going on demonstrations. It's not violence. It's a general belligerent A sort resistance. of uh, peaceful civil disobedience. Yes, but mass, everybody, everybody, just say, don't join the armed forces. And if, and if the parties are no good, don't vote. Don't buy a newspaper. Just don't participate in your own demise, your own oppression, your own, your own deception. Um, Powerful call, Ian. Powerful call. Okay. Thank you very much for it. Uh, John says, who was the last royal to be prosecuted? Never mind for paedophilia. And Artform says he should be questioned by the FBI, but not until after Anne Sokoulas is extradited. And uh, um, Marek says, apart from his association with Epstein, what did he actually do of which there's evidence for? He only saw Epstein a couple of times in a year. <laughs> not much of an exculpation, that one. Well, you must be aware, brother, and I, I know you and respect you, you must be aware that there is extant a uh, complaint from a woman, a minor in the USA, and she was a US citizen, who was therefore trafficked illegally to England for the purposes of sex with Prince Andrew. Uh, that is the allegation. That's what the FBI want to speak to him about. He says that he... Uh, never met the young woman in question, although there is a photograph. Photographs can be faked, of course, but there is a photograph with him, Ghislaine Maxwell, and the girl, uh, up close and personal. Uh, he says he didn't go dancing with her because he was at the Pizza Express in Woking. He says he wasn't sweating when he was dancing because at that time, he couldn't sweat, but the FBI questioning him might just make him sweat again. Let's, let's, uh, let, yeah. Now, don't forget, you can download the podcast of this program. It's done really well this week. That's a finely edited highlights version of this three-hour epic. So basically, they cut out my worst bits. Uh, from tomorrow, you can search Moats on the app where you get your podcasts from and subscribe to never miss an episode and download. Clear the decks. There's a legend on the line. It's Norma in Bristol. Norma, welcome. No show is complete without <laughs> hearing from you. Well, I don't know, George. You said it's a culture show as well as politics. Yes, so, it is. It is. Um, I know you're not a tennis fan, but... No, um, nowadays. I once was. I loved uh, yeah. McEnroe and Connors yeah. and that era, Nastasi. Yeah. And my father yeah. loved uh, Rod Laver. He was his oh. uh, favorite player. Uh, but nowadays, it's a bit robotic for me, Norma. Well, what I'm trying to tell you is, I actually saw this documentary this afternoon, and it was about a woman called Althea Gibson. Now, I don't know if you've heard of her, nor many tennis fans, because it was in the 50s. But she was the first black woman tennis player to win Wimbledon. She won the American Grand Slam in the 50s. And it wasn't a professional sport in those days. So she earned very little money. But 
She came from the back streets of Harlem. She suffered racism. And as you would imagine in those days, uh, you know, she Even was nowadays. quite poor. She didn't, yeah, she was quite poor. And um, apparently she was near suicide in the film, but she had this devil's tennis partner. I can't remember her name, but she was a white woman, actually, that actually came to her um, help her. And it's what you call crowdfunded nowadays. Got lots of money for her. And it saved her. And she died in, she was in her 70s. In 19... I think it was 1993. And she died quite happy. But it was quite a poignant film. It sounds my, What was her name? My, Remind me. Althea Gibson. Althea uh, she'd write Gibson. A, she wrote a biography, actually. Althea Gibson. But my mum saw her. And uh, it was, a, it, like, in the 50s. And... She was so pleased because, but she she still didn't get the adulation she should have had. She I, did I, get I'm there. amazed. That, I mean, I remember Arthur Ashe being the first, yeah, well, he was uh, the first black, black male man. to win it. Yeah, but I, she, I had no was, idea mm. a black female had won. There you are, see, because us women aren't important. <laughs> no, no, but it, it <laughs> makes your point that uh, that should be a much bigger story than it is. Well, yeah, because she was before, um, what do you call him, the bloke you just said. He mm. was the first black man. Yeah, but she he, was he, was in the late, he would be in the late 60s. That's right, and I think she did know him. But, I mean, the good thing was, um, she went suffered such a lot, and, and then somebody came to her rescue, and she was happy when she died. So I thought that is a, 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 <laughs> both a sad and a happy story at one and the same time, which is what we expect from you, Norma. Thank you very much indeed for uh, following. Now, on that note, it has been a remarkable three hours. I felt it's been marvelous for me. I hope it was for you. Institutional corruption has won it. That's why Andrew hasn't been interviewed by the police above the law 41. Nothing to answer, just 15. Think about that. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.